0: All praise for the church. The prayer is packed with profound and helpful insights about who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Walk Worthy. It's time to pick up where we left off in the book of Colossians, a brand new study that we've started verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through this shorter epistle, Colossians chapter one. This is our second study. We'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we even read in the psalm, it just brings life to our souls, Lord, and just revives us and gives us uh, assurance and peace and joy and and shows us the way to be blessed. So open our eyes of our understanding and change us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it wasn't very long after a dramatic uh, conversion to Christ. In my own life, I was 19 years old, and most of you know the story. There in front of a club in San Francisco, I gave my heart to the Lord. Uh, Six months later, with God's providence, I was already at Bible college studying to be uh, a pastor, where I spent four wonderful years. Well, one of my first experiences was being... In a service there where somebody needed prayer and they stood up and they shared about, um, in short, they were saying, uh, I'm having an identity crisis. Now, as a brand new believer, you know, that statement uh, really struck me as quite odd. I remember thinking, how is that? possible. I just came out of a life of confusion, no direction. I didn't know who I was or what I was doing, nor did I even care, you know? And so, but I found the Lord I didn't have all the answers. I just started at Bible college, but I certainly knew that I belonged to God. Now I knew there was a God, nothing else really mattered that he created me and I was around to do what he wanted me to do. I mean, I just couldn't understand it. Um, and by the way, it turns out, and it makes a lot of sense, that the reason he was having an identity crisis was that he didn't know the Lord. And that became apparent in some of his behavior. And then that made a lot of sense to me. Well, no wonder the guy doesn't know who he is because he doesn't know who God is. And you can't know who you are unless you know who uh, made you and created you. How else would you know why a thing was created uh, unless you talked to the one who created it? Oh, now we know uh, why it's here. And so, there is no reason on this planet for any believer who's come into the knowledge of the truth about God to have any kind of identity crisis. In fact, uh, the Bible is filled with scriptures that tell tell us who we are, who we used to be who we're becoming, who God is, what God wants from us. He wants us to have a strong sense of identity so we can be focused and productive in our hearts and lives. So um, it, it's a wonderful passage coming at us now. And in a quick little prayer, it's not a long prayer, it's a paragraph, but Paul is in opening uh, greetings to uh, those uh, he's writing to. He often has a blessing or a prayer for them and we're going to look at the prayer but by looking at the prayer we're going to find out exactly who we should be because he's praying I'm praying that you become this person well then that's the person we should become because that prayer is inspired by the Holy Spirit let's take a look at it he says for This reason, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God I know. Wow. (laughs) Paul, the apostle, wow. He knows how to pray. And you know why he knows how to pray is because he prays. He's an intercessor, man. This guy can pray. And he knows the Lord and he's just saying, this is what I'm praying for you. And this is why I'm praying it. And as a result of hearing a little bit of the prayer, and the purpose of the prayer, we know exactly what God wants us to become and what's, what he wants us to be doing. It's just wonderful. There are three things about the Christian life that are very evident and very important for us. And this is how we're going to divide up this beautiful, profound uh, prayer. First of all, I see our overall purpose as Christians, is revealed in the first couple verses. The next couple verses will show us our our power, the enablement to do what God wants us to do, his will, his purpose. And then the last couple verses is really talking about our pardon and how forgiveness and what God has done on our behalf kind of inspires us to walk with him in a worthy way manner So let's dive in right away with our purpose that's spelled out ever so clearly and the cool thing about knowing what God's will, his general will for our lives is is that it can be overlaid on top of anybody's life here. No matter <clears throat> excuse me what kind of life, what kind of job, uh, whether you're doing really well, whether you're not, whether you're making a lot of money, whether you're not I, it just doesn't matter who you are, or what you're doing, God's will is the same, and so you're able to uh, accommodate that. So it's a pr- it's a two pronged prayer, right away, and and we see that here uh, in the first couple of verses. Uh, he says, I, "I'm praying that God give you full understanding, that you have the spiritual wisdom, that you get it." that you get God, you get the gospel, you get who you are, your part, because from that right understanding, everything else will spring into existence. From right thinking comes right living, always. You've got to know, you've got to understand. And that's what he's saying. As soon as we heard that you guys were saved, we just started praying and we haven't stopped, that you'll get it. Not new information, what you've already been filled with, we want you to be able to now understand it and access it and, and so that you, you you are able to comprehend so that you can flesh that out in the way that you live. So the first part is, oh, we're praying for full understanding that you guys get it and, and so that you can respond in a full way, a life-befitting people who know the Lord. And he says, uh, people who have this knowledge of who God is and what God's up to want to live a life worthy of that, worthy of the Lord, worthy of the gospel, worthy of the grandeur of heaven and the angels and everything holy and beautiful about the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll want to Live that way. And so we're going to talk about what that means. He says, really, that knowledge will give you a a, a desire to walk worthy. Now, to live, where does it say? To to live, uh, pray this in order, to live a, verse 10, to live a life worthy, to live a life, is one word in the Greek and it means to walk. And some of your translations have, have that. Walking, it means uh, everywhere your feet go, it, it just means as your day unfolds in the nooks and crannies of your life, you are constantly living with an aim to be worthy of God. This is, this is just unbelievable. So here's the definition of what it means to live a life worthy of the Lord. It means you're living a life Commensurate with what the Lord has done for us and who the Lord is to us. So he's so great a God, right? So he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's ever-present everywhere. You know, the three O's, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, right? This, This magnificent God who can speak and a planet he could just, it's just amazing to me. And he didn't stop with one planet. He kept going with moons and stars and universes that are keep unfolding. So we're connected to this great God. Therefore, we're going to want to take it up a couple notches in how we speak and how we behave. That would be living worthy of somebody like that because we are called his And so you think about what a merciful savior, what a wonderful love, what a profound mercy and sacrifice that he became one of us for the sole purpose of going to an agonizing, shameful public death on our behalf. So From the thoughts of fullness of an understanding of the grandeur of who he is, the character of who he is, the sacrifice of what he's done, the depth of his love for you. From that evokes a desire to walk worthy of that person and that action toward you. That's just summed up in pleasing him in every way. Pleasing him in every way, every way. That's the walk, right? So when you wake up and how you're relating to your spouse and, and, and to your children, how you parent, how you're parented, that in everything that your thoughts are even flying in right formation because you're taking them, those thoughts captive so that those thoughts would be worthy thoughts of God, there are a lot of thoughts that pass through my brain that just get rejected, unworthy, unworthy, out. That is not a worthy thought for someone who is connected to a God like him who has done what he has done on my behalf. That thought is unworthy. That thing that came out of my mouth, unworthy, not only of a minister, I I have to watch out because the Bible says, you who want to teach and get up on platforms, don't be so eager. You're gonna be held to a higher standard because I'm up here waving the book and I've got all the answers for everybody else. And it says, okay, Mr. Big Shot, I'm gonna judge you a lot tighter than everybody else. Right? Oh, don't look so happy about that. All of you. You just looked overjoyed <laughs> while I was dying inside, you know. Oh, and don't worry, he's he's all over you as well. <laughs> Every idle word is for you as as well. And so Uh, The phrase to, to, to walk worthy, to please him in every way. Come on, the way you do your job, everybody just thinks you can go to work, be a Christian, and all that matters is what goes on in these doors. No, walking worthy, pleasing the Lord is what goes on in every room that you ever enter, and I mean every room, every room, wherever your feet are. And that's pretty much wherever you are. <laughs> Unless there's been a terrible accident. <laughs> that was a pleasant Sunday morning thought. <laughs> oh, man, so many divorcing are, are walking worthy from certain areas in life. Well, you know, I'm doing business. You've got to conduct your business worthy of the Lord. You're connected. Let me show you why. This is important. These are this. These are uh, ways, and they're not. It's not exhaustive. This is how we're described, you and me, ambassadors for Christ, sons and daughters of God, the light of the world. He looks at Christians and he says, "You folks are the light of the world, a city on a hill. You got the truth. You know the gospel. You know the way out of hell. You know the way to get to heaven." You know the way to please God, and you're shining in a dark world. Co-workers with Christ, we could just stop right there. Children of light, children of the day, First Thessalonians five. Co-workers with God, is First Corinthians six. Uh, the light of the world, is Matthew five. Sons and daughters of God, all over the place. <laughs> uh, ambassadors for Christ, second. Corinthians five verse twenty, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. First Peter chapter two verse nine. There, note takers. I've been doing it a long time. I mean, you know. Anyway, um, that's where you can find it, note takers. Okay, so what's worthy of this is accessing porn. Worthy of somebody called that? I'm just asking you a question, man. I'm just asking you. That is not worthy of this. And that's just your side. This is the theology of who we are. We're leaving out the grandeur, holiness, moral perfection, and strength and beauty and glory of the most high God. We're not even talking him. The theology of who we are demands that we walk worthy, because this is who God made us. We are ambassadors. That means Jesus is in the next room. He sent me out to uh, just kind of represent him. What he'd like to know? What would you like? You know, him to do? Or you know, we're the front men for the Most High God. So I want to ask you again: Is pornography and lust? God forbid. Yeah, God forbid. Thank you. Somebody's coming to life. <laughs> That's nice. How about being greedy or being selfish? Or how about cussing? How about cussing? Dropping all kinds of verbal bombs. What? You can't afford to to live less than worthy lives because of who you are connected to. You're his kid, you're his child, you're the ambassador. You're a coworker. There's so many ways. Uh, And I'm preaching a lot to me, man. I just got, listen, Franklin Graham tells a story about being in some dark bar doing some dark deed, something. And he says, somebody recognized him and found out. He says, hey, man, you're Franklin Graham. He goes, dude, with with a last name like yours, what are you doing in a place like this? You can't be do even the even the guy who's participating with him is mocking him because you're not walking worthy of who you are associated with. Billy Graham is your dad and you're in some smoke-filled stupid bar doing and talking stupid ways? Come on. All of us yet yeah, we, we best check ourselves. We just need to check ourselves. Inwardly, deeply, profoundly. So let's keep a recorder going on all day long and then play the tape at the end of the day and say, what's worthy? What's worthy of God? And what is not? And you're going to want to erase half of the tape, right? Oh, well, maybe three quarters. Start over. Yeah. <laughs> You can get rid of the tape, you know, you can get a hammer and destroy the, uh, oh, sorry. I've been watching Fox News, okay? I had to slip that in. So, you know, the, de- the debate is coming up between the two sides. Side number one, a broken ankle. Side number two, a dislocated shoulder. Which do you want? All right, moving on. I'm glad I threw that in. Can you edit that out of the day? <laughs> Just I'm dead serious too. <laughs> I, whatever. Okay, he doesn't stop there. Apparently, he goes on. Let's read. He says, okay, here's the purpose. And, and you're probably thinking, Walking worthy of God, and that's what it is. And, and walking worthy of the gospel, walking worthy of the Lord, and pleasing him in how many ways? In every way. That sounds impossible. And he knew you were going to think that. So then he says, oh, and by the way, here's some good news. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing, there it is again, in an understanding of God being, being strengthened. That means that you' you're, you're the you're the, uh, what's the word? the passive person, you're being strengthened by God with all power according to his glorious might, so that you can hang in there. great endurance of patience and duke it out for Jesus and grab those thoughts and be everything that we've been talking about by his great power. So, Our available power to bear fruit, which is a beautiful metaphor. Jesus is the one who started this whole analogy there in John chapter 15 at the Last Supper. He said, listen, guys, I got something, some last words. Last words are important. They really are. And so every word from John 13 to John 17, pay attention. That's the Last Supper. And those are last words. And he said, listen, let me give you this analogy. He says, I'm like the vine. You guys, when you come to know me, you get plugged in to the vine. You're like the branches, right? And, and I supply, the analogy is so beautiful. I supply the strength. I nourish you. And, and the fruit that's coming will be coming from me and my nutrients. I'm the root I'm the life, I'm the source. You're kind of an extension of me. And my father, in John 15, wants you to be fruitful. And that means productive. That means all the things we just talked about. A good mom, a patient father, a hardworking employee, a wonderful employer. All of the, the attitudes, the speaking, these are all fruits. Right? And God the Father is pleased that through Christ. Now, here's what Jesus said in John 15 if you remain in me and I in you. In other words, keep that fellowship with me tight. Nothing between, no corrosion to stop the connection so that there'll be abundant fruit, so that good works, the good things that are coming out of your mouth. And when you have you know, rotten oranges on the tree or rotten figs or whatever it is, it's because the connection's bad. The connection's bad. So he says, bearing fruit, he wants us, uh, bearing fruit is moral character and good deeds and all of this. And so fruit can be like love, joy, and peace and all of these things that come from the Holy Spirit. Or they can be things that, uh, deeds that we do, giving people rides, helping them with groceries, fixing someone a meal, inviting somebody over, befriending somebody, complimenting, encouraging, affirming. There are a lot of ways that we can do good deeds. But here, and in Jesus' analogy of bearing good fruit, you will find out something very crucial. Christian good deeds differ from the world's good deeds because the Christian's good deeds, A, are done through Christ. No no branch by itself. and unbeliever's a branch that's not connected to the life. So it doesn't matter what kind of apparent good work is being done because they're not connected to life. So does it matter if you end up in hell? If you end up in hell perishing, does it matter what good work was shown or received? just doesn't matter. That is why good works that matter come from lives that are born again, have already been given heaven, And there's a response. And those good works that he's talking about bearing fruit in every good work. My friend, we are tagging the gospel to every good work a Christian does. We just don't do good works. First of all, you can't do a good work to get to heaven because that doesn't work because there's going to be tons of good good deed doers in hell. Tons. Do you know how many philanthropists Uh, like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and and, um, George Soros, they give millions and millions and millions of dollars to humanitarian causes. And they're all about atheists, including Bill Gates, who said recently in Time magazine that he has a lot better, more productive things to do on a Sunday morning than to go to some religious service. No, he's, his money has done a lot of good. It doesn't mean anything without God. Amen. So we don't just do run around doing good deeds. i got to do good deeds. i got to do good deeds. you got to do good deeds because the good Savior has come on board and he wants to do good deeds and you've got to tag the gospel onto every good deed. You build a house for somebody and you just not say a word? <laughs> One of these days, thank you for building the house for them. That's nice. One of these days, he's going to be carried out of that house dead. Then what? What good was the house? You didn't say, I'm building you this house. I'm giving you this house. In Jesus' name, because there's a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid. You can tag that in there. In Jesus' name. What good does it do to feed somebody temporarily who's going to end up dying and perishing? What good was that deed? It temporarily was a nice thing to do. That's nice. Very good. But you've got to say, and by the way, can I pray with you that your soul not perish and that Jesus calls himself the bread of heaven. You want to know how to satisfy your soul? Well, I'm glad to help satisfy your physical hunger. But there's something more. There's a further step in the social gospel today, which is so popular because it takes away the offense of the cross. So all they can do is do good deeds. And they do a lot of them. There's a church downtown San Francisco. Nobody knows the Lord. If I went in there, I'd have to convince everybody in there that there's a heaven and a hell and a Jesus. I'd have to start from scratch. They're feeding thousands of people. They're providing medical care for AIDS sufferers. They're doing good deeds, but they've pulled away from the gospel. There's no mention of Jesus. You don't have to be born again. There's no such thing as hell. It's universalism. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Let's all just do a bunch of good deeds. He's not talking about that. He is not talking about that. He's talking about gospel soaked impacting soul deeds let's do those and then he goes on to say this is happening as you're growing in knowledge so from right thinking is right living you know so you, how do you get how do you grow in that knowledge you open the book once in a while you really do you just have to Don't tell me if this is the only Bible you ever get in a week because someone told me that once and that's why I preach an hour long. All right? (laughs) Because of that one comment. (laughs) Blame them. All right? I'll give you their email. No. (laughs) Yes, sir. You will be here for 50 minutes. Why? Because half of this church, half probably, probably, will not open the book, but they will open all kinds of other stuff. And so I'm up against trying to keep you afloat, spiritually, right? Against all the other input you allow in, hours and hours and hours, and just a little sliver of a little promise that you pulled out on a box for 30 seconds and looked at. Praise the Lord that you did that. But you're not going to be growing in the knowledge. If you don't open the book, let it read to you. I got the audio one because my eyes, you know. I, I can't focus in the morning anyway. It takes me about four hours. to. <laughs> <laughs> I just let it read to me. Read it to me in the car. Read to me. You know, you just, that's how you grow and walk with the Lord. Moving on. He closes here, I believe. Well, no, we can't move on yet. Good, thank you. I wanna go on to the great endurance and patience. He's saying he strengthens us. And I guess the whole point of that is that he gives us the power. Jesus uh, said, Don't do anything until you get the power. And I'm gonna give you power to be what? To be and do, to be who you're supposed to be for me, right? Acts chapter one. And, and that is for all Christians. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And and from that power, he gives us. And I I just love the scripture that says, uh, I don't know if I have it, Isaiah. So do not fear. Oh, yes. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I am will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so that's the promise, and that's what he's talking about. So that's why you don't have to say, <laughs> worthy of the, the Lord. I just, every word and every thought and every deed, yeah, you can. Why? He says, don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. I'll do it for you. Here's the secret, my Christian friends. We gotta figure out how to let him do it. That's the key. He's on board. The power's there. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is coursing somewhere within, waiting and willing to give us the power to live a moral, worthy, God-pleasing life. It's there. It is there. We may not know we have the power like poor little Dorothy at the end of The Wizard of Oz. She didn't know, and that just blew my mind when I was a kid. I'm like, what? The witch says to her, the white witch. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Says to her. (laughs) Oh, by the way, I know little kids have been scared out of their mind this whole time, wishing you could get back to Kansas. You could have gone back from the beginning of this movie. You had the power. All you had to do is click your heels three times. Well, how did she know? How was she supposed to know how to do that, right? My whole point as a kid was what? You went through all of that when you had the power to be home and safe. You got the power. He's on board. The meds are on board. You've got to figure out how to let it happen. And it's not in running. It's in resting. It's not in trying. It's in trusting. There's some secrets here. Let me show you one quick photo of this bird that I saw in National Geographic. You're going to like this story. This bird's pretty smart. It's called the great frigate bird. And here's what it, it can do. It can stay aloft, I know I wrote this down somewhere, for 56 days. So, yeah, yes. Popular mechanics. Uh, Go online and read the article, all right? Uh, Scientists hooked up little monitors to this bird and little GPS systems and followed it around. And here's here's an article. It turns out, from the article, it turns out that the great frigates have learned how to harness the power of the wind. They soar and they glide in long roller coaster swoops by taking advantage of the unique weather patterns in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Instead of constantly flapping, underline that, <laughs> instead of constantly flapping and expending their energies, the birds siphon off atmospheric energy to fly. They tack in updrafts to rocket into the air. I don't even know what that means, but but it sounds fun. The birds, it goes on to say, can fly without landing or resting for months, and it's thought that they might somehow be sleeping in the air during these long travels. There's more. The research team found that sometimes a soaring bird's resting heart rate was as low as when they were simply sitting on their nests, meaning that flying was close to effortless. Why did I think about the Christian life? <laughs> the wind. The name for spirit in the, in the Hebrew and Greek is wind. Ruach in Hebrew is wind or breath. Pneuma in the Greek, wind or breath. This is it. Learning how to stop flapping so much, making things happen, making things happen, making things happen, and just learn how to die to self, pick up cross and get self squared away and let him lift us up. And now speaking of soaring effortlessly, here's the reason why. Last point. You want to (laughs) soar? You want to just learn how to just let God lift you up? Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has, one, qualified you to share the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Two, he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And three, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So three reasons to be inspired To have joy through the endurance that the spirit provides through the thick and thin come hell or high water of your Christian experience. You can still count it all joy. Why? Three reasons. He's qualified you. He's rescued you. He's redeemed you. And he wants you to catch the full understanding of that. The full understanding of he's qualified you. You know qualifying for anything important, it's an anxious time, isn't it? It depends how much you want the thing. Uh, my future son-in-law and daughter, Jordan, uh, wanted this perfect apartment. It's just perfect in every way. And uh, everybody else wanted that apartment, too. But they had to qualify, right? And so they qualified. And what? there was such joy. There was like, she said yes. Step. Qualify. Accepted the word here means to be. I love this. It says, um, All the conditions have been met to entitle a person to claim full standing as an enlightened member of God's chosen people. That's beautiful. You, you, you know, it's one thing to qualify for a loan for a car, or a loan for a house. It's another thing to have an application in for, uh, you know, you want to be on the Olympic team or you need a job that you really want to get that job, but you've got to qualify. That's one thing. But how about needing to qualify so you can get out of hell so that you don't die what is called the second death? How about that? We're doing, uh, uh, that's, you know, I'd be worried about, you know, the, the escrow and all of that. That's one level of nervousness. But how about with the wrath of God hanging over your head, needing to qualify to get out of that and into eternal paradise? But you got to qualify. Now, here's how you had to qualify. And God let us all know. Thou shalt not steal. If you steal, you're out. Well, we're all out. If you lie, thou shalt not lie. The law said, here's your qualifications, man. Put God first. Never misuse his name. Honor your mother and father. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. That's akin to lusting. Don't covet what's the, don't desire what doesn't belong to you. That's the form. Who can stand in God's holy presence? Psalm 15. He who casts no slur upon his neighbor who does no wrong who has clean hands forget about it we're all disqualified does it, that ought to cause you some anxiety the second death awaits you legitimately and then the gospel came to you and you said i believe i trust i've got no other hope no other plan Nothing to offer except brokenness, sin, shame, failure. That's my part. Approved. Qualified. I just want to say, shut up. I mean, seriously, I'm not saying that to God. I I meant that the way we all go, what? What's the work we have to do that God requires? Believe in the one he sent. And he qualifies so that he becomes your wisdom your righteousness your sanctification first corinthians chapter one verse 30 christ is that so on your application to get into heaven it says moral purity christ thou shalt not lie christ righteousness christ it's on our application it's in his name It's in his name we pray. It's in his name we live. It's in his name that we're justified. Wow. Whew, that was a close one. Apparently, I'm more aware of that than some of you in this room. That's okay. All right. So, yeah, moving on. I know I hear you out there. Thank you. He rescued you. Number two. So qualified your application for eternal life. Done. No thanks to anything you you have to do with it except believing. And number two, he rescued you. Now, most people don't even know that they need rescuing in the world. That's part of the deception, part of the deception. In fact, Jesus said, um, if you grab, he's talking to the Jewish religious leaders, and he says, if you hold on to my teaching, he says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so uh, the Jews respond, the Jewish leaders who do lots of good deeds. What do you mean the truth will set us free? We're not enslaved. We've, we're Abraham's children. We're Jews. We've never been anybody's slaves. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, how quickly we can forget. A mere 400 years <laughs> in Egypt. And then Jesus says, oh, listen, he, Jesus doesn't even call him on that. Why bother, really? I mean, they just say something else dumb. And then then, then, he, says, then he says, anyone who sins is a slave of sin. Anyone who sins. So he's, he's saying, I am the answer out of the darkness of the, the tyranny of your own passions your own brokenness that tells you to do the very thing that you even think is stupid. It's telling you to ruin your marriage. Go ahead, ruin your career. In your head, you're thinking, what? Why would I want to ruin my marriage? Why would I want to get a disease? Why would I want to end up in jail by doing that and bringing shame and getting in the press Democrat, (laughs) right? We read about it, right? Because you're a slave without Christ's spirit to bust you free. And he says he has rescued you from that. You remember this dude, this uh, Edmund Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, he loved the white witch. Oh, did he love her? You know why? Because she gave him Turkish delight. That's why. And you know what he did for that Turkish delight? He sold the life of his brother and sister so that he could get a little Turkish delight. And what happened? The brother and sister go to Aslan and petition the king. Is there anything you could do for him? He's done a terrible thing, but he's our brother. And Aslan, and in all his mercy, knows what he's going to have to do to redeem him. But, sends one of those winged creatures. And uh, it's one of my favorite scenes. It just, this horse bird thing comes, comes flying in and snatches him up by his nasty dropped shoulders, you know, picks him up right in front of everybody. The white witch and the wolves and everything. He's trapped. He's done for. He's a traitor. He's Judas. And for no good reason, God just says, go get him. Go get him. Go rescue him. And whoops, swoops in, just like he swooped in on you and me. And that's exactly what he did. That the claws come down. Whoosh, up from the encampment and the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the sun he loves. And he did. He took Edmund and he flew him out of darkness and and landed him. I love that too. Lands him right in next to Aslan and the kingdom and the beautiful creations and creatures of the most high king, right? That's what he's trying to say. He rescued you. He transferred you. He plucked you out of the sinful world and put you in the realm of the kingdom of God and Jesus is the one. The son is in control and it goes on to finish up with the third beautiful thing is a new... uh, a a kingdom where the son is ruling in which you are now established and redeemed. Now, we don't use the word redeemed very much, but it means to be bought back or ransomed, a release bought about by a payment. So we've been redeemed in this. The ransom note above our heads was the wages of sin is death. So we all have appointed appointed, uh, with We are appointed once to die and then the judgment, and that would lead to a second death. And so what the Lord did in love, as you all know, is he became one of us humans because the ransom that needed to be paid to hanging over your head was a a back that needed to be flogged, a beard that needed to be plucked, clothes that needed to come off so you could be shamed, and a a heartbeat and lungs that need to be suffocated out and stopped because that's the wages of debt. So to pay in that currency, to pay your debt, he needed a body. And the sole reason he became one of us and incarnated himself through a a human womb to be the God-man, sacrifice-bearer of sins, is to remove those sins. Now, if the wage is the cause of the second death, And the first death is sin. And sins have all been laid on him. He was shamed, he was disgraced, he was tortured, and then he died. The wrath of God, bam, on him for all of those sins. If those sins are in the word forgiven, there means sent away, paid away. If those sins have been sent away, where's your cause for death? The wages of sin. Now sin is gone. There are no more wages. You've been redeemed. Do you see? There's not one sin pointing its nasty bony finger at you anymore because that bony finger of accusation was nailed to the cross, bled and died out, and then was removed from you. So he says, listen, you've been Forgiven, And the arms that reach out to receive you now, they still have evidence of that great love because they were nailed to a cross. He says, I want you to walk worthy <laughs> of God in a body doing that for you. And when he says, come to me, arms stretched, Open wide. Listen, that's just a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see. The the ugliest thing is the most beautiful. The most evil thing is the most righteous because it's going to satisfy God's justice, right? All my sins, all those stupid things I've ever thought or said or did, and yours as well. Past, present, and future, nailed, done, paid. He cries out, and then that accounting term, To lay, oh, it means to pay in full. It is finished, done, paid. And then he opens his arms. In heaven, we will see those glorified scars. Because he showed them. They were freaked out. He appeared at church on a Sunday night service. He showed up. They're all freaked out like, oh, no, our Messiah is dead. He's like, hey, here I am. And they're like, it's a ghost. And he says, does a ghost have, come here, feel, touch. Thomas, come here, buddy, you know. But you could see his wounds. You could see his wounds. He wants you to always remember, even in heaven, forever. It's cool. You're worthy of being here. Now live in the meantime worthy of him here and now. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so humbled by your love, so convicted by your spirit, and so excited to be able to give back to you. Yes, Lord, by your power and grace, And through the knowledge of knowing who you are and what you've done, we want to walk worthy and please you in every single way possible. Only give us the strength, give us the knowledge, give us the wisdom to inspire us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast.